Well, hello. It is uh, really incredible to be with you guys today. My name is Jeff Johnson. Um, and honestly, it is a true honor to be able to be speaking with you guys while Danny's on sabbatical. I, I was able to work here for a couple of years as a weekend service director and a worship leader. And honestly, it's, um, it's great to be back. It's really exciting to just see what God has been doing even here in the short time that since I've been gone. There's a new campus in Franklin and, and Matt shares all those people who have started a new relationship with Christ. And it's, it is exciting. Um, it is beautiful just to continue to hear how God has just still been faithful um, to everybody here. And I'm excited to be with you. Um, we are in this series called Life Verse. And it's a great idea for a series like this because it provides those of us guest speakers an opportunity to just come in and talk about one single verse that has meant a lot to us. Um, and it's a verse often that has changed us, that has shaped us, that has informed our relationship with God, and that has been somewhat of an anchor to our souls. And I, uh, if I'm being honest, my life verse didn't come out of an extremely difficult time or some major trial. It was, it was a verse that I found when I was in high school, and it was, it's from a psalm, and I like music, so I always liked reading the psalms, and it was a psalm that had a couple songs to it that I really liked. And it was kind of just nice, and it was, um, it, 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 like I said, it wasn't forged out of some difficult time, but what's beautiful is that as I've kind of held on to that verse, and as I've continued and gone through difficult things and trials and the goods and the bads of life, it, it's a verse that has really been an anchor and a way for me to come back kind of to who God is always. And just to kind of catch you up a little bit about what I've been up to I know you're just terribly curious, right? That's the thing. Um, I, uh, I live in a place right now called Roosevelt Island, and that is a small neighborhood in New York City. Moved there in February from Brooklyn, where I was living for the past year and a half. Um, and what's probably the oddest thing, well, I don't know if you can count an oddest thing about Roosevelt Island. It's strange. But one of the strange things is that Many New Yorkers don't even realize that it's a thing. They don't even realize that Roosevelt Island exists. It's this small strip of an island in between Manhattan and Queens and the East River. Um, we are technically part of the borough of Manhattan. It's about 800 feet wide at any point on Main Street. As long as there's not a tall apartment building, you can see Queens to your right and Manhattan to your left. Um, and it's about two miles long, just the small little odd place where just about every kind of person in the world lives. Um, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and I'm incredibly privileged to uh, be there. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. I want to share a story of a friend of mine and talk a little bit more about what God is teaching me. But let's dive in. I want to share this verse with you, my life verse, because that's what this is all about. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. And in order to get, you know, the full context for this, the full feel um, of what's happening here and what's going on, I wanna, want us to look at this entire chapter, this entire psalm. So would you read along with me the, Psalm 46? It says, God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. 
Though its waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So what's going on here? He sets up this scenario. The author here, who um, in this case is not David, and we often attribute most of the songs to King David. This is listed as one of the sons of um, Korah. Anyway, the author sets up kind of this worst-case scenario, right? He says, the earth is shaking, and nations are in uproar, mountains fall, and the waters roar, and basically paints this picture of disaster happening all around. But he sandwiches that in between the truth of what he knows about God, and he starts by saying that the Lord is our refuge and strength, and ends by saying, the God of Jacob is our fortress, And that sounds very simple, and it's initially very comforting because we have a God who's in control, and when the bad happens, don't worry, because it's fine. And to be real, that's probably one of the reasons, as a young follower of Jesus, why I picked this. It sounds good that when everything sucks, God is still there, and he's still God. But the psalmist, the author, doesn't necessarily unpack this fully, and I want to dive in a little bit more, get a little bit more real with this, because I think it's very easy for us to take a passage like this, to say, be still and know, and let it be a cute little Christian saying that we can repeat that doesn't necessarily have a lot of weight behind it, because we've never really gone in and and discovered what all that means, what all it means to to be still, and what, what it means to know that He is God. And to really understand that. And, and when your world comes crashing down, and when everything around is, is not as you want, and the people that are around you seem to be against you, if you leave it there, it might not hold up. When, when things are difficult, and when you get laid off from the job again, or when the doctor comes back with something you absolutely didn't want to hear, Or we just go through a week where we see wrongful death lead to more wrongful death. And we see terror attacks, and we see people dying around us for seemingly no reason. If we take that, we don't automatically just say, oh, okay, be still. If we take the circumstances that he sets up, that the psalmist sets up, I don't think that I would come up with the same conclusion and the same ending. If we start where he starts with a shaky earth, add to that, falling mountains, and we keep going and we add roaring waters, and then angry nations and unstable kingdoms, what is our conclusion? Be still. Like that. 
<laughs> that does not really add up. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I don't know if that's what you would come up with. And I, I don't think that's the logical sum of those parts. And I think that's where this real tension lies. Not in the truth of that saying, not in the truth of the statement, be still and know, but when A and B and C and D and E are all true, coming up still with the idea to, to be still and know. The psalmist, like I said, states the truth because, well, he's discovered that and he's learned it. And it makes a beautiful song, but it might not make for reasoning that we can follow. And I don't want to ignore that. I don't want to just let it be that simple phrase. I don't want to hand you a well-packaged verse with nothing behind it. Uh, Matthew Henry is a famous Bible commentator, and he outlines this chapter, this Psalm 46, and he gives three purposes. And the final purpose he comes up with comes from the last two verses of Psalm 46, 10 and 11. He states one of the purposes of this as, to assure ourselves that God, who has glorified his own name, will glorify it yet again, and to comfort ourselves with that. Mm. And if you're anything like me, maybe you don't want to say it out loud, maybe you want to hide the reaction, but that is not an immediate comfort. Um, you ask the question, well, why does that matter? The glory of God, why, what, is, what does that mean? And why, why is the glory of God a comfort to me when I am in some sort of pit? Why does that help? Let me ask you this. When the waves are crashing around you, what do you want? When the earth is shaking, what are you looking for? Well, you want the waters to be stilled, right? You want the earth to stop. When your wife is sick, you ask God to heal her. When your child is hurting, you beg God for relief. When your friend loses a job, you ask God for another one. And, and when your mind is under attack and you can't see straight and depression sets in, you beg God to take it away. And when we see another black man killed for reasons that are uncertain, and we follow that up with more death and more violence, we, we are begging God for relief from this, for for peace. We want redemption. We want restoration. We want our circumstances put right again, don't we? We want him to come and to fix it, to heal the brokenness and to restore and repair. But he doesn't always fix the problem and sometimes I'm still hurting. I told you I would get back a little bit to some of the stories of Roosevelt Island, what God has been showing me and teaching me there and some of the people there. And I want to share just a little bit about it. Um, we are a, I'm part of this incredible community. There's a church that we have there. Um, and uh, it's, on, a, on a given Sunday, we probably have about 70 or 80 adults in this small church plant. And among those, say, 80 adults, there's probably 30 different nationalities and just as many languages spoken. Um, it's not uncommon to see a UN diplomat or two who are also sitting behind a couple incredible people who happen to be struggling with drug addiction. There are, of course, a handful of young New York hipsters, and there's a few Chinese students still learning English, and it is a beautifully diverse, weird place. <laughs> One of the first people that I met when I was there is my now good friend, Christy Nave, and um, 
Christy got to New York just a few months before I did in the summer of 2014. She's actually from Indiana. She is from a place up near Marion called Jonesboro. I'd never heard of it. I think it's about 5,000 people or something. Um, but Christy got to New York and immediately just dove into our community there um, at Hope Church and has been a huge part of it. And I want to share a little bit of her story because Christy's story shows us when circumstances, when life hits and doesn't go how we want it, how we can still have the right perspective. So check this out. My sophomore year of college, uh, my friends and I were talking about the one thing that would shake your faith and make you turn away from the Lord. And I said that if my mom's cancer came back, don't ever have conversations like that. At the end of September of my senior year of college, my mom went to another routine doctor's appointment and the cancer had come back and everything that I had been praying for growing up was all coming back. But starting the first of the year, as I was starting my second semester, she started doing okay. The doctors let her go back to work. And June 1st, after I graduated, mom helped me pack up two cars full of stuff I didn't need, and we traveled across the country, and moved, she moved me from Indiana to New York City. In September, a year after mom had her diagnosis, she went back and the doctor looked her in the eye and said, your cancer's improving so much that they weren't gonna call it cancer anymore, they're calling it a well-controlled disease. And all of my fears of losing my mom and all of my fears that I had lived with in high school and that I had talked about in college, they were, they were gone at that point. I was certain that the Lord was gonna save her. Right before Thanksgiving that first year I was in New York City, I knew she was going back in for her appointment. I got a call from my dad and I ignored it and then it followed with a text that said, call me as soon as you can. So I went to the bathroom and called him back and got news that the cancer had come back. It had grown in her bones. Everything that had shrunk had doubled in size almost. Though they were treating it with chemo, nothing was going away at this point. And because of how much weight she lost and because she wasn't able to gain more weight back, the doctors couldn't do anything. On December 22nd, 2014, my mom passed away. I threw myself into everything I was doing. Um, I tried so hard to escape everything that just happened. About a month after, that's when reality had set in. I was sad, I was hurt, I was heartbroken, and um, I was just sad. At the end of January, a colleague of mine sent me a song and the lyrics just simply said, though you slay me, um, yet I will praise you. Though you ruin me, I will bless your name. In the song, they put a piece of a sermon that John Piper said, and in his sermon, he said, 
Every millisecond of your pain, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory. Therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths and day by day preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. Every day, I just preach the truths that I had been taught of who God is in moments where I was hurting and in tears and didn't have the answers I wanted. I just sang the same simple worship songs over and over and over again to myself so that someday, somehow, I could finally believe again who I knew God was. In the middle of March, after I had been saying this to myself for weeks and weeks, something changed and suddenly I wasn't saying these things to myself. God was saying them to me and his promises that I am his child and that he loves me and that he is with me and that I don't have to be in control and that I can trust him just started ringing true and though the sadness was still there I suddenly felt a new hope because I remembered my God conquered the grave and I know that now my mom knows that full well so what do I have to fear? If I were to have that conversation again with my college friends and they were to ask me what the one thing would be that would shake my faith and make me turn away from the Lord, I would laugh because I had no idea how faithful, merciful, and redemptive the Lord can be in spite of your worst fears. Christy's circumstances weren't put right again. She didn't get what she was asking for. But what Christy knows, what got her through that, and what is still getting her through that today, is who her God is. As she said, she preached those truths to herself over and over until they became who she is. And I want to share with you four truths about God because, because the character of God has such further implications on all of who we are. These are things that we talk about all the time at our community at Hope, and I just am excited to share them with you. We call these the four Gs. They come from a guy named Tim Chester, and they've been uh, life-changing for me. So, this first thing is that God is great. Simply, God is great, but because of that, I don't need to be in control. He has a perfect plan, and his ways are higher than mine. The greatness of God means that he is above all, he is over all, he is sovereign, he's in complete control, and nothing happens that is outside of his knowledge or outside of his power. He's the one that shows the sun where to stand and the ocean where to stop. And what's good is that the truth of this informs our perspective when we find ourselves 
in the worst of scenarios. But it should also inform our perspective when we find ourselves even in the everyday frustrations of life. I uh, made my way here from New York on Thursday night, brought a couple friends with me, and uh, my friend Gage and I were flying out Thursday. We got a call a few hours before we were supposed to board, and uh, American Airlines says that our direct flight from LaGuardia to Indianapolis was now a flight that would stop over in Chicago and then go to Indianapolis. So instead of getting in at 9.30 on Thursday night, we were getting in at 11.50 p.m. Thursday night. So that was a cool way to start the trip. Uh, we got to the airport through security actually with relative ease. Um, and as we get to the gate, um, because of what had happened with our canceled flight, there's extra people on this flight to Chicago, so we're, on, we're getting on that flight, and they tell us that our carry-on bags that we have, those have to be checked. Okay, cool. And then, you know, we get on the plane to realize that we are in everyone's favorite location, two opposite middle seats. <laughs> Let's go to Chicago. All right, so we, we're there, and I don't understand why this is the way it is, but when you sit there, they, what, there's a couple pilots here probably. Why can't we just turn on the air conditioning? I don't, something about the engine, engines not being on, I don't know, get some air flowing, but we're sitting there and it's hot and it's warm and, you know, everyone's a little impatient just because that's the way it is at that point. And uh, the pilot comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm sorry to inform you that our wheels up time is not going to be for another hour. Okay. And he says that, but don't worry about it. We're actually not that far behind schedule. We will make up some time in the air, and uh, we'll actually get to Chicago just a little bit after we had planned. Thank you so much for your patience. Sit tight. Uh-huh, sure. Um, so I take this opportunity, and I open up my laptop, and I try to do a little bit of work. And about an hour later, after sitting that, in that cozy middle seat where it's so warm and toasty, uh, the pilot gets on again and says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to inform you that it looks like it's still going to be another hour until takeoff. And you hear that collective groan over the entire aircraft. He says, um, that looks like that'll probably put us into Chicago about an hour and 15 minutes after we are supposed to. Sit tight. Thank you for your patience. And this is the point where I'm in my middle seat. And I'm thinking, patience, oh, thank you for your patience, because I really have a lot of patience right now. I don't have a choice. I'm just sitting in this middle seat, and I can't barely even move. I'm trying to type on my laptop and do a little bit of work, but I really would like to jump out the window because it's so hot in here. And I'm starting to go crazy, and I start spiraling, and I think, okay, so we're in Chicago an hour and 15 minutes later. That means we're probably not going to make our flight to Indianapolis. we we'll are have to figure out how to stay here in Chicago, get back to the airport, and then I'm going to have to reschedule my appointments that I was supposed to have in Greenwood on Friday morning because I'm not going to make those. I won't be in Indianapolis in time. And I start spiraling. I start thinking of all these worst-case scenarios, and I start to just say all the things, and I start to cuss a lot in my head, and don't judge me because you've been there. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I looked down, and on my laptop, was, I was working on this very talk. <laughs> and staring right back at me is Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. <laughs> All I could do was kind of laugh. <sighs> we find ourselves so easily upset at 
things that don't go our way, whether in daily circumstances, or maybe you find yourself at a place in life even where this is not where you would have planned. This is not the spot that I would have put myself. I didn't want to have to go through that. I don't want to even be here. And I find myself doing that same thing and saying, God, this doesn't necessarily make sense. Why am I here? I would have chosen things differently. If it were up to me, perhaps I wouldn't still be single at 33. Fill out those connection cards, ladies. (laughs) But you know what? We learn that despite all of it, as Bill told us last week, that God really is working everything for the good of them that love him. And we can actually rest in the fact that he is in control and we don't have to because he is great. The second thing is that God is glorious. God is glorious and because of that, I don't need to fear anyone. And this might not make perfect sense right off the bat saying glorious equals I don't fear, but that word glory, what that means is it holds this idea of weight or heaviness and it it carries with it the idea of what really matters. So believing that God is glorious is believing that he is the only one that really matters. When I don't believe this, what I'm doing is I'm putting things above God and saying they are more important than God. Perhaps I think that someone is more important than God. And when I do that, I put their opinion above God's and their opinion and what they think of me means the world to me. The Bible refers to this as the fear of man. You work for the approval of your boss. You buy the house for the approval of your neighbors. You wear the nice dress for the approval of that certain someone. And we work, we do, we act for the sake of what someone will think of us. But when we understand that God is the one that matters above all of that, and his opinion is the only one that matters, we can actually find security and freedom because, guess what? When it comes to God's approval, you have it. And when it comes to God's opinion of you, he loves you. And you are lovely because he loves you, not because of something you've done or what you look like, but because he loves you. This great God who is in complete control, who matters more than anything else, loves you and is pleased with you. So because God is glorious, I don't have to fear what anyone else can do, can say, can think of me. Third is that God is good. So simply, God is good, and because of that, I don't need to seek satisfaction anywhere else. He alone can satisfy because he is the only one who is truly good. We look everywhere to be fulfilled, to find joy and satisfaction, and and, and we often look everywhere except for the one place where it can truly be found. We are made for more than this world can offer, yet we grasp for satisfaction in a job, in a position, in a relationship. We look for joy and food and sex and money and a good time, just something to satisfy. And I know that Danny has probably shared this quote a hundred times because it's from C.S. Lewis, but I want to share this with you. C.S. Lewis says this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea 
we are far too easily pleased. And if I'm being real, this is where I find myself very often coming back to this is that I, I look for satisfaction in the things around me and I, I foolishly think that the next thing will bring me some sort of joy, that the next apartment will be better, that the next job will be great, that the next relationship will be the one. Or often for me, it's just that if everything that I have will just stay and never go away and be just like it is, that I will be content. And I look and I grasp for satisfaction and fulfillment in all of these things when all that will fill, fulfill, the only thing, is the presence of God. God is the only one who is truly good and therefore the only one that can satisfy. But you know why that's such good news? Because he calls us to him to taste and see that the Lord is good. This great God in complete control who matters more than everything actually wants and offers to be our everything. God is good, and because of that, we don't need to seek satisfaction elsewhere. Last, God is gracious. And because of it, I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to prove myself to you. I don't need to prove myself to God, and I don't need to prove myself to myself. We work and perform and do so that we can show ourselves valuable. Look what I did. We feel the need to let others know how good we are what a great parent I am, what a good businessman I am. And, and often this shows up in, in some version of false humility where it's like, hey, look at how good my kids are or how, look, at, look at how great my business is because of we feel that satisfaction and we feel that, that worth because of what's around us. And, and maybe it's just our association with those things where we find value and find worth. We live in this, this culture, this society that says that everything must be earned and worked for and hard work is rewarded. We wear our 60-hour work week as some sort of badge of honor, but the grace of God says that his favor cannot be earned. And you know what? That's, again, incredible news because... There will always be someone doing it better, somebody who has done more, who has more, who has accomplished more, and none of that anyway will stack up to a holy, perfect God. And that's okay, because it doesn't have to. God is not asking us to prove our worth to him. He says, you are valuable because I value you. So believing in a gracious God gives us freedom, the freedom to rest, to stop striving, to be still. It gives us the security to be who God created us to be because I don't need to prove myself to you or to God or even to myself. I don't have to attempt to stack up all that I have done in my accomplishments just to feel better. I can rest in the love of a gracious God, a gracious God who is greater, more worthy, better and more satisfying than anything we know or can imagine. So in light of that, be still. Relax. Cease striving. Stop trying. Stop proving. Stop working. Be still and know that He is God. My life verse for me brings me back to God because it brings me back to who He is and who I am because of him, I am loved, I am valued, 
I'm cherished. I'm secure. And when the storms hit and the pain comes and people leave you stranded and you watch your mother lose her battle to cancer, your entire world does not have to unravel because your identity is not found in those things, but instead you are rooted in who God is. So it really is possible to be still. Our anxiety our instability and our insecurity come when we place our identity in, in those things, in the things around us, in who we are and who we can be on our own. And, and those things will always change. But we can find security and peace when we know that our identity comes from God's identity. So why does the glory of God matter? Why is it a comfort, as Matthew Henry has said, that, that God will glorify himself once again and to comfort ourselves in that? Because the whole point of glory, the whole point of that is that God is what matters. He matters more than all the rest. And it brings us back to him. It brings us back to something that is bigger than ourselves, outside of our circumstances, outside of our lives. It offers a new perspective and a new identity because our lives and our circumstances are not the end all. But we are called to something much greater. We're called to something higher. We're called to be his, to be his sons and his daughters, because he is our father. He is our great, perfect father. So hear him whisper to you, hear him remind you and say to you, be still and know that I am God. I am a great God, and because of that, you don't need to be in control. I'm a glorious God, and because of that, you don't have to fear anything. I am a good God, and you don't need to seek satisfaction anywhere else. I am a gracious God, and because of that, you don't have to prove yourself. So as we listen to this song, I want you to be still. And hear God say to you who he is and who you are because of him. And then I'll come back and close us. And that's you and you find yourself so often fighting for control, seeking satisfaction anywhere, trying to prove yourself and earn your worth. I'm sure you found it empty because it doesn't work. We look everywhere to be fulfilled and to be satisfied and there's only one thing that works and that's God. That's our relationship with him. And maybe you're here and you've never experienced that. You've never stepped into that at all. We want to give you that opportunity Because it's the greatest thing there is. And to walk into that new relationship, you get to find new identity. You don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to struggle and earn your value and worth. You get to find it in something that is secure, in the character of God. Because this all-glorious, all-gracious God 
He loved you and I so much that he sent his son to come here to restore that relationship. We look and we seek and we go elsewhere and we run away from God and, and, and we are broken and we need restoration and God actually came to restore us. Jesus came to restore that relationship with him. His holiness, his perfection says that he can't be with our brokenness, but once again, that seeming bad news is actually good news because he wants to repair it. He wants to fix it. And he's calling to you to, to be his, to just accept it, to just walk in that, to just step into that new relationship, that new life, and that new identity. So we always want to give you a chance here at the end of our services to step into that, to accept that. And you don't need me to do that. You don't need a church service like this to do that, but I would love to help walk you through that. So if that's something that you want, if that's something that you hear God saying, come to me. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. If that's the first time, I'm going to pray a prayer. Pray along with me. Say something similar. Just offer it up to God and um, accept walk in this, accept this new identity. So would you pray with me? God, I have looked everywhere for joy and for satisfaction and for peace, for value, for worth and identity. And I know that the things of this world have fallen short. But I hear and I understand your promises that my worth and my identity can be found in you. Forgive me for looking elsewhere, for running away, for making a mess of the life that you have given me. Forgive me for that and let me become yours. Let me step into a new relationship with you to become a follower of Jesus, to become your child, to become your son, to become your daughter. Let me step into that and I accept the gift that you've given of salvation. I accept this. Thank you for the peace, the joy, the worth, the value, the identity that you offer in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that for the first time, we want to get one of these Bibles in your hand. It's a one-year New Testament, and um, there'll be people at each corner at the back of the auditorium to give these to you, to pray with you a little bit and maybe talk about what your next steps might look like in following Jesus. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It has been a pleasure to be with you all. Um, just want to pray as we close and, and remind us that we can, as you, as you go out and as you face circumstances and, and as life throws things that you don't want, as you face the traffic just getting out of this church and onto 135, that God is in control, he's good, he's gracious, and we can rest and we can be still and know that. So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for you. Thank you for your faithfulness, your love. Thank you that all of the things that start to seem like bad news are such good news because you offer hope and you offer peace and you offer a new perspective and a new identity. God, let us stop trying to seek satisfaction, stop trying to prove ourselves even, 
even after we have understood and after we've accepted you and even after we've chosen to follow you, we still do this. God, forgive us of that. Let us hear your voice just continually whisper to us that you are our Father, we are your children, and you are enough. Lord, we pray for our country this week. Lord, forgive us as a people for the broken systems, for the mess that we have created. Let us be change. Through your power, let us be healing for our nation. Lord, we can, we can do nothing on our own. We need you, and we are begging for you to come and restore and fix and bring your kingdom more and more here. Let us be a part of that. Thank you that we get to be. Let us always remember who we are because of who you are, and rest and be still in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey guys, Matt's closing out the series next week. It's going to be amazing, I'm sure, so you don't want to miss it. See ya.